0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I'd like to start this morning by welcoming you all. I want to start by, by welcoming those who we haven't perhaps seen in a while, those who've come from a long way just to be here this morning. Michael Weiss, all the way from the UK. Auntie Lucy, Nicole's mom, all the way from New York. We've got the Somerset West House, house Church with us here this morning. Somebody's come all the way from Rhema in Johannesburg this morning. We have Linda, who's come all the way from London this morning. So to the rest of you, I want to say there's no excuses for not coming to church on a Sunday. We welcome the Rothwells. I mean, who have I missed that's not normally here on a Sunday? Hey, Sanson! Hey, Sanson! He's come to us all the way from El Shaddai, the streams. He makes a mean cup of coffee, so after the service, ask him to make your coffee for you. (laughs) We don't have quite the right equipment, Sanson, but I've got great faith in your abilities. Lovely to have you with us here this morning. Praise God. Amen. It's good to be together in the house of God. Amen. I want to also convey my sincere thanks to everybody who came to the Tenebrae service on Thursday night, who came to the Good Friday service on Friday morning, the Tenebrae service was at the Baptist church, the Good Friday service was at the Presbyterian Presbyterian church, it's not the Presbyterian church, it's just the Presbyterian church. I am so proud of you, and I'm so grateful towards you. I cannot express how much your presence there encouraged those ministers and those pastors and those congregations, how many comments I got from people saying, it's so great to see the churches coming together, and how the comments I got from the ministers saying, thank you, it's so nice seeing your people there, and so nice to have you be a part of it, I'm super proud of you, thank you all for being there. To all of those who are not there, I'm also super proud of you, and I love you too. Mark, I really enjoyed your daughters dancing to the worship this morning. I see you've been teaching her your moves. She's... <laughs> it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. So today is Easter Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And as you see here in front of you, we've got a... Apart from the emblems for communion that we'll do a little bit later on, we have a little depiction of what things may have looked like inside the tomb after Jesus' resurrection. You may note the diminutive size of our Jesus here. The only explanation I can think of is that when He washed away our sins, He did it in a warm wash, and so everything shrunk. <laughs> that's all I've got. But it's emblematic. And so that's, this is what I'm going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about newness of life. And the first thing that I want to do is I want to paint a bit of context. Uh, mo- most of you spent Thursday night and Friday focusing on the trial of Jesus. We focused on the death and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the burial of Jesus Christ in the tomb, in, in jo- Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. He asked for the body of Jesus. They embalmed it. They, they wrapped it in cloth, and they placed him in the tomb. And this is where I really want to start from this morning, Having had Jesus crucified, I want you to understand the lengths that the Pharisees and the chief priests went to to make sure that Jesus stayed dead. That may seem like a funny thing to say. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the the high priests and all of those things who were trying Jesus wanted Him crucified. We all know the story that He got crucified. He was placed in the tomb. And then they went back to Pilate after he was in the tomb. It's very interesting to me that after all their accusations against Jesus, they chose to go to Pilate on the Sabbath and say, Jesus said that he would rise again from the dead. We need to make sure that, that this doesn't happen. Let's read about it in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to look at Matthew's account. We'll have it on the screens. But it says this from verse 62. Matthew's 27, verse 62 onwards, it says... On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver, speaking of Jesus, uh, said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead." So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a God. So he granted them their wish. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now when Pilate says you have a God, it didn't mean you have a single guard. It means you have a guard. A guard in those days was made up of at least four Roman soldiers who would work in shifts, two at a time of about six hours at a time. So two would be on guard together, two would sleep and rest, and then they would, they would swap shifts every six hours. That was what a guard was. Not only that, he said, secure the tomb as, the tomb as best you know how. And it says they secured the tomb, and they put a Roman a seal on it. Now what that seal was, is it was basically a rope of some kind that went over the stone, and they sealed it, With the roman seal you know wax and all those kinds of things if anybody was to break that seal it would be breaking the authority of rome now in those days that was a big deal nobody would dare do something like that because to defy rome was your death sentence and so we just see the lengths that they went to to make sure that these things that jesus spoke about himself that he would rise again would not come to pass so that's kind of the picture that we paint on the Saturday. And then comes Sunday morning. The third day, some woman went to the tomb with fresh bandages and spices. And on the way, they were talking and wondering, okay, we're going to go because men had done the first job wrapping him and placing him in the tomb. The woman decided we needed, he needed a bit more dressing. You needed a few more spices, we really don't have much faith in the job the men did. So they're on their way to the tomb, and on the way they're wondering, how are we going to get the stone rolled away? We read about it in Mark, chapter 16, 1 to 6. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in long white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Where's Luke? There he is. Oh, what happened to your white robes, dude? (laughs) It vanished away, okay. So you've been delivered from angel duties now. You're just back to... So Luke was your angel this morning who greeted you, greet, greeted you at the door shouting, Good news! Christ is risen! And so there we have the picture of the angel sitting inside and they were obviously alarmed. He is, uh, but he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now that's important. The angel drew the attention of those women to the place where Jesus lay. And we're going to get on to why that was important. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee and you will see him as he said to you. So, this is, as I said, quite significant that the angel pointed their attention to the place where Jesus was laid. And he tells Mary, go off, call, tell the disciples, tell Peter. Which, which Mary, Mary duly does. Mary She runs away, she runs to go find them. She tells them, come, he is risen, he's been taken away. John 20, verse 6 to 7, calls them, and then we pick up John's, John's account here, and he says, then Simon Peter came, following him, and went to the tomb. Following who? It was John. John and Peter ran to the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. Again, we have reference saying they saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, there's two things worth emphasizing here. They mentioned the clothes and they mentioned the folded handkerchief. Now, the handkerchief in those days was not as we would think of a little pocket square like this to blow one's nose on, ought to be chivalrous when one finds damsel in distress. That's not the kind of handkerchief we're talking about here. kind of handkerchief would be a little bit larger, a bit like a hand towel maybe even, or maybe even larger than that. It would be a napkin, or a serviette is another another way of thinking about it, a hand towel, that when somebody was having a meal, they would use it to wipe their beard and wipe their mouth and their hands. They would use it on other occasions to wipe sweat from their brow. That kind of, of cloth, it's a little bit larger. But the significance of the handkerchief being folded is, is important. In Jewish custom at the time, that handkerchief or that, that cloth had significance in the home with mark between a master and a servant. You see, a servant would know how his master wanted the table laid for supper. And he would lay the table making sure that everything was just in its place as it should be, as the master wanted it to be. The master would come, he would sit, and he would eat his meal. Along the way, if the master was finished, he would take up his napkin or his handkerchief, he'd wipe his face, his beard, his hands, and he'd bundle it all together and throw it on the plate and get up. That was the the, the signal to the servant who would be waiting in the shadows, not sort of in plain sight, waiting for the signal. That would be the signal that the master is now done with his meal. The servant can come and clear the table. However, if the master got up and folded his handkerchief, and placed it down on the table next to his plate, it would be a symbol to the servant, I am not finished, I am leaving for a moment, but I am coming back. And the servant would not clear the table in the hope and expectation that his master was coming back. When Jesus folded the headscarf, the handkerchief, whatever terminology you want to use, and he placed it next to the garments, he was saying, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I am not done yet. What a wonderful promise. You and I today still hold on to this promise that our Messiah will one day return. His return is at hand, the Bible says. And we wait with great joy and anticipation that day. That's the one part of the garments that I wanted to draw your attention to. But as I was pondering over the past few weeks about what I will share this morning and how I will share share with you, it's actually the remaining garments that shifted something in my heart that drew my attention. And to illustrate why this is significant, I want to do a little demonstration with you. I need a man who is strong. Any men who are strong? Come on, then. I also need four kids. Come on in, come on in. Here we go. <clears throat> uh, it's, it's Jared. Huh? Yes, yes, got it right. Whew. All right, now Jared, you're a strong guy, right? Very. Jared is a Jared is a Muay Thai champion, by the way. So be careful around him, boys and girls. He knows a thing or two, right? These are These are for you. Now, what I'm giving these children here is bandages, so to speak. Now, here we go, guys. Now, for all intents and purposes here, I want you to play, uh, play dead, but stand up while you're doing it, okay? Just to help us get this wrapping on nicely. So stand up, put your feet together, Jared. Okay, kids, you got some space. I don't know, who wants to take an arm? Each of you an arm, maybe each of you a leg. Oh. <laughs> Let's get some wrappings on this guy. Here we go, Ryan. Ryan, here we go. Okay, now let's get this done properly, hey? And quickly, boys. Come on, wrap, wrap, wrap. Wrap, wrap, wrap. All right, that's good, that's good. Thank you, guys. Well done, well done. Jared, I almost forgot about you, huh? You all right in there? Okay. Now, the whole point of this exercise, Jade, is I want you to get out of those bonds without breaking them, without unraveling them, without tearing them. Kids. <laughs> without any assistance. Can you do it? Yeah. Try wiggling. Okay, I suppose, I suppose at this point you're left with just one option. Show us your strength, Jade. thank you Jared (laughs) that is why this impresses me because when you think of the garments of Jesus the the grave clothes don't worry about it Luke we'll, we'll sort it out later thank you when you think of the grave clothes of Jesus, they were not all unbundled, they were not torn, they were, it's not like Jesus suddenly turned into the Hulk and, went, and tore all these bandages and, and cloth off Him. When they came to the tomb, His body was gone, and the cloths just settled. They just fell. There was a miraculous resurrection. One moment He was there, the next moment... He was gone. He wasn't. It wasn't as though somebody came into the cave or came into the tomb, took off this, broke the seal, rolled away the rock, came in and unbundled him. It wasn't the work of a man. It wasn't fleshly power that delivered him. But he was delivered by God from the power of the fleshly limitations that he submitted to when he was born into this world. Isn't that incredible? You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus humbled himself, he became a man, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be held onto, that's uh, Philippians chapter 2, but he made himself of no reputation, being born in the form of a man. In other words, he took upon himself all the earthly limitations that you and I have, and in that moment, in his resurrection, all of those earthly limitations were lifted off him. Jesus didn't fight His way out of His grave clothes and bandages in His own strength. He didn't force open the tomb with Jared-like strength from the inside. He didn't beat up or kill the guards in order to get out. The spiritual power of His resurrection simply meant that He was no longer subject to those earthly restraints and limitations any longer. Folks, in the same way, you and I can't fight our way out of the bonds of sin. As much as we try to break them, as much as we try in our own strength towards righteousness, as much as you and I try to please God or to live a good life, it's never going to be enough. The bandages represent our old man, our old man, our flesh, our sinful nature. It's not only our sinfulness but even our good works, our efforts to please God, our efforts to appease God. Romans 8, verse 3 to 4 says this, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak. In other words, what knowing right from wrong could not do. That's what the law really means there. What knowing right from wrong, how to live right and what is bad. Knowing right from wrong, in what that could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of, Of sinful flesh on account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh in Jesus Christ that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit the message of Easter I want to say to you today is about more than just forgiveness praise God for forgiveness for our sin But the message of Easter is about so much more than just forgiveness. The glorious news that we celebrate today is that the same miracle-working power that delivered Jesus from the bonds of sin and death is alive and at work in the lives of those who believe today. The same Holy Spirit that took Jesus' body miraculously and raised it again to life from death It's the same Holy Spirit that God gives to every one of His people, every one of His children who believes today. You see, it's not about how good I can be. It's not about how well I perform. My performance in trying to do things is never going to bring spiritual life. But what does the Bible say? Only believe. We look at the grave clothes here of Jesus this morning. We look at the resurrection life. And we have a picture painted for us that we are called to identify with. We are called to identify with Jesus' death, with the death of His flesh, and called to identify with the new birth that comes with it. I'm going to read you a portion of Scripture, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, but I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation. It says it this way, Sharing in His death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with Him. So as you look at this scene here, I know we we, we put this down to, to give us the image of the tomb of Jesus, but instead of seeing where Jesus lay, we see there where our old man lay, our sinful man. Because we were co-buried and entombed with Him, so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with Him to newness of life. We have been co-resurrected with Him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. And I want to say to you today, the message that I want to, to, to catch this morning is that The message of salvation, the message of the cross and the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, should give us hope not just for some once-off event where we pray a prayer and our sins are forgiven, but that we would learn through that resurrected life that now abides within us to live every single day in the newness and the empowerment and the freshness of that new life. My prayer as we ponder this Easter Sunday on Jesus' resurrection, is that for those of us who have heard the story many times, it's familiar to us. We know the story, but that that story would gain new and fresh significance. For those of us who may not have heard the story before or responded to the story, that that story would come alive, that Jesus came to do so much more than just forgive our sins. Praise God our sins are forgiven. Praise God we're delivered from death that should we die in this flesh, we will go and be with Him for all eternity. Those are wonderful things to celebrate. But even more than that, right here, right now, the very presence and the life of God abides within us, and we can live out every single day from the overflow of that life. As Paul Paul writes to the Galatians, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me close by reading you a portion of Scripture from the book of Romans, chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 31 to the end of the chapter, verse 39. It says this, What then shall we say to these things, to this news, this good news, to this story? What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? All things that are His, both in this life and the next. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? For it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But yet, in all of these things, in all that you're going through, in all your struggles, in all your successes, in all your victories, in all your fears, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor <coughs> Excuse me. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall ever again be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What a promise. What joy we have today in knowing such a glorious truth. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.